And thank you, Jacoby. What's going on, Kairos? Man, I'm super pumped to be here today. If you don't know me, my name is Wade Owens. I am the pastor at our Nolensville campus, and I've been married for 23 years. I was married when I was 12, and we have three incredible kids, three incredible kids, and one that we're still working on a little bit. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We only have three kids, and they're amazing. And I grew up not really understanding or going to church. And in fact, I met my wife when I was 19 years old waiting tables, and she was the hottest thing that I had ever seen. And I kept asking her to go out with me, and she was absolutely unwilling to go out with me. And I just was determined to turn on the smolder and convince her to go out with me. So I kept after her and after, what are you doing Wednesday? What are you doing Thursday? What are you doing Friday? What are you doing Saturday? What are you doing Sunday? She's like, I'm going to church. I'm like, I'm down. And she said, are you a Christian? I said, is that good? She said, yeah. I said, sure. <laughs> and so I went to church and heard the gospel for the first time at 19 years old. It just melted my heart, the goodness and the good news of Jesus. And Within three weeks, and the first person that I led to the Lord was myself. And I went back to my parents who had been divorced since I was in sixth grade and shared the gospel with them. I watched them come to Christ and get remarried. I watched my brother and my sister come to Christ. And before I left Texas to move here four years ago, I baptized my last niece. And I got 13 nieces and nephews. Like the power of Jesus transformed three generations. And what we're going to talk about today is how the power of God that rose Jesus from the grave is still alive today. And if God rose Jesus from the grave 2,000 years ago, then he can raise dead things in your life today. It's like we believe that. And here's how I want to start. I want you to do me a favor. Grab your phone. Take it out. I know you have it. You're probably on TikTok during worship. Just get your phone out. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a selfie real fast. Take a selfie. With you, you and your crew, go ahead, take it out. I didn't ask you to photobomb your neighbor. Don't tell your neighbor to look at some picture of your dog. Nobody wants to see your dog. Just take a picture. Look, you can put it on Instagram stories later, man. Just take a picture. Hey, look, if you're still taking a picture, then you need a new phone. Come on, take a picture. Now, here's what I want you to do. Once you've taken that picture, just take a moment, I want you to look right at that picture, and then I want you to think about the, everything that's happened in your life that shaped your story. Think about what shaped your story, because the reality is everyone is a part of a story, but what you may not realize is that your story is connected to a much larger story. Your story is actually a part of the story that God is writing, the story that he began writing at the beginning of time. And as we continue to walk through the book of Luke today, what we saw in the text today was some of the disciples, they left the empty tomb of Jesus and they're headed to Emmaus and unbeknownst to them, Jesus is right there with them. God is among them, risen from the grave, alive, and they have no idea God is with them. And so what do you do when you're looking for God but you can't seem to find him? What do you do? And what do you do when what you believe, what your faith says to be true, doesn't line up with what your heart believes in a moment or what your eyes say is true? What do you do? 
And so one of the things that I want you to leave here believing tonight is that God is alive. And even though there are dead things inside of me, God can still raise them to life. That your story is not done being written. And Garrett, last week, invited you to just marvel in the resurrection. And so what I want to do is just sort of continue that marveling for just a moment. Because if you didn't know this, like Christianity alone possesses a founder who defeated death and then promised that all of his followers would indeed one day defeat death too. Like, we believe that. It was true for Jesus, and it's true for us. And God's resurrection means that dead things in your life can still be made alive. So I'm gonna pray, and we're gonna look at what, what do we do when God may be near, but we don't see him. What do we do when my faith doesn't line up with what my heart feels, what with my eye sees. We're gonna, we're gonna talk about that and believe that the power of God is available still even today. Amen? Amen. So God, today, make yourself known. Help us to keep waiting, keep believing, keep hoping, because hope is always closer than we think. And the same power that rose Jesus from the grave 2,000 years ago can raise dead things in our life today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? So what do you do? When what you believe doesn't line up with what you see or what you feel, first thing I want you to write down is this, man, keep walking. If you're taking notes, write this down. If you happen to attend the church at Nolensville, I say this all the time, if you're not taking notes, what do you do? Mary, what do you do? Write this down. That's right. Everybody write this down. You keep walking because you look back at the text and look at what the guys were doing. They were headed to Emmaus and they're arguing they're talking, they're trying to figure out what was going on. They don't really understand it. And then all of a sudden, Jesus just pops into their conversations like, hey, what are y'all chatting about? And they're like, what do you mean, what are we chatting about? Are you the only person within 100 miles of Jerusalem who doesn't know what happened, who doesn't know about these things? And then Jesus' response is just remarkable. If you don't think God has a sense of humor, then you didn't read the text because Jesus is like, what things? It's just coy about it, man. It's amazing. And then what they do is they keep walking. And as they're walking, they go through the whole story with Jesus about how they thought that their Messiah was alive, but he had been killed. And these women went and looked at the empty tomb, but now they're saying he's alive. And they don't really know what to believe, but they just keep walking. And they're wondering, is this something I should believe? Should I bet my life on this? Should I place my hope in this? Should I really believe that Jesus is alive? That's what they're wondering as they're walking. And I don't know if you know this, but I chat with people all the time who still kind of process that today. Like, hey, that's a really nice story, <laughs> but did it really happen? I mean, you know, for the last 2,000 years, people have tried to disprove the resurrection because they, they know that, man, if there's resurrection, then there's hope. And if I can discredit the resurrection, then I can reject the scriptures. And if I reject the scriptures, then I can dismiss the God of the universe. Don't need him. Didn't tell the truth. But if you dismiss God, then you dismiss life itself. And so these guys keep walking. But the thing, second thing I want you to see is, man, they, they keep believing. And I want you to know that there is an incredible amount of proof for the resurrection. Like, this isn't a blind leap of faith. Honestly, historically, biblically, it's probably irrefutable. In the Bible that we preach from, 
was written over about a 1,500-year period by about 40-plus different authors on three different continents, and no one has been able to find one contradiction or error in it. So inside the Bible, you have the Old Testament talking about the resurrection of Jesus. You have Jesus himself saying that would happen. Then you have Paul saying, man, I saw that guy alive. The Bible is full of proof, but think for a minute, if you're a little bit of a skeptic, we're super glad that you're here. Just outside of the Bible, the amount of proof for Jesus' resurrection and the fact that he's alive is all over the place. I'll give you just a few. Number one, I want you to think about the change in the disciples. I mean, think about the change in the disciples. After Jesus' death, most of them were huddled up in a upper room, fearful that what happened to Jesus was going to happen to them. But then all of a sudden, these disciples become fearless men. They go from like water boy to Navy SEAL overnight. And a lot of people say, well, listen, what happened was the disciples lied about the resurrection. They made it up. Let me ask a question. Show of hands, group participation. How many of y'all have ever told a lie? Show of hands. Yeah, everybody put your hand up unless you're a liar. Come on, let's go. Yeah, most people, when they lie, they lie to benefit themselves. Listen, Peter was crucified upside down. And don't you think as they're about to impale him to a cross, if there were a lie, he might go, man, he made for fools, man. He, he's not alive. You can't explain the radical change in the disciples unless they saw him alive. Not only that, Jesus' family worshiped him as God. James, Jesus' brother, actually didn't believe until he saw Jesus alive. And then once he saw him alive, he wouldn't renounce it. In fact, they took him to the top of the Temple Mount and said, deny the fact that he's the Messiah and rose from the grave. And he wouldn't, and they threw him to his death. Can you really explain his family worshiping him as God if he wasn't? Show of hands again, how many of you have a brother or sister? Yeah, what would it take for you to worship them as God? <laughs> like if they come home from college and you're like, hey, how's school? They're like, man, I got some news. <laughs> really? What news? I'm God. Like you're locking them in their room and taking all their stuff. Jesus' family were devout Jews. And if they were wrong, they were condemning themselves to death. They worshiped him as God because they saw him resurrected. And then some people, they argue, you know, there's really no immediate record of Jesus' resurrection. It was made up years later just to make the story sound nice. That's not true either. You can go to non-Bible guys First century, second century authors like Josephus and Pliny the Younger who wrote, there were a group of people who followed a Messiah who was crucified, buried, and reported to rise again. History. History tells the story of Jesus. And not only that, like the story that we're reading may be some of my favorite evidence. They call it the seven-mile journey. So after seeing the empty tomb, these two guys take off for a town called Emmaus. It's seven miles from the empty tomb to Emmaus, seven miles. Wait, why is that so important? It's important because the resurrection of Jesus has really frustrated people for a long time because what they need to do is they need to explain it in a way that's, that's not miraculous. And so they would say, well, listen, maybe they didn't kill Jesus. You know, maybe the professional Roman executioner didn't know what a dead guy was like. You know, even though the Roman executioner took a spear ran it into Jesus' side, under his ribcage, into his heart sack, and blood and water flowed out. 
And then after that, they took him down, wrapped him up in about 100 pounds of linens and spices, like a mummified state, no breathing, no air, then laid him in a cold tomb for three days with no medical care, food, or water. And then the theory, the theory is after all of that, having his full body weight bare down on his feet with a nail driven through them, crucified and beaten, left in a tomb for three days, he's just up and walking seven miles and it's fine. Come on. Have you ever stubbed your toe and tried to walk and not look like you're medicated? <laughs> and some have even suggested that, well, Jesus, he had a twin brother. This is what happened. He's had a twin brother. And what happened was that they did a little stunt double, and that's what happened. First of all, there's no evidence he had a twin brother. And second of all, I think Mary would have known. <laughs> you, you cannot deny the resurrection. And so if you can't deny it, you have to deal with it. And the resurrection is everything for believers. And I'm not belittling the cross. On the cross, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake, for our sake, he, that's God, made him, that's Jesus, to be sin. Who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's what Martin Luther called the great exchange. Like all of my shame and guilt and sin was placed on Jesus and was crucified. And then all of the goodness and righteousness of Jesus was given to me. It's a great exchange. The cross is spectacular. But the cross means nothing without a resurrection. So when we baptize people, we symbolize the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. If there were no resurrection, when we say you're buried with him into the likeness of his death, we would just leave you there. <laughs> but Jesus is alive. God's resurrection power raised Jesus from the grave 2,000 years ago, and God is still raising dead things to life today. And so what do you do when your faith doesn't line up with what your heart feels and what your eyes see. When you're looking for God, but you can't seem to find him, you keep waiting, you keep believing, but man, you keep hoping. You keep hoping, man, that the dead things that you still feel, God hasn't forgotten. The Bible says, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. You keep hoping and you keep believing that what is absolutely true is that there is freedom from yesterday's failures. There is freedom in our life. Not only from the first and greatest of all failures from our parents, Adam and Eve, our first parents who committed the greatest of all failures, the first original sin that plunged all of humanity into brokenness and sinful separation from God. And I know sin isn't a popular word, but it's a biblical word. And the Bible says that we're all born into sin. And if you don't believe that, if you don't believe that we're born into sin, then you've never been around kids. Because those little boogers just come sinful, like real bad. Like nobody's child wakes up perfect. Nobody raises a perfect kid. I've raised three of them. And never once did I wake up at 5 a.m. and they vacuum the house and clean the kitchen and are sitting in the living room reading their Bible, journaling how to give their life to Jesus more that day. 
No, I wake up and the house is on fire. And the cat's head's been shaved. And there's markers all over the wall. It's because we become sinful and broken. And for the first 19 years of my life, I thought sin was activities that I did. And so I just try to quit doing those activities. I just manage my behavior. God, what an awful experience that was. Because you can't manage your behavior because sin isn't just your behavior. It's a state of the heart that leads to behavior. So you, you change your behavior, but you can't change your heart. And so all you do is live in this existence of frustration. And I used to think when I'm nailing it, God's happy with me. When I'm not, he's angry with me. I just always lived in this constant frustration of I just can't do enough. But the good news of Jesus and the power of the resurrection means there is freedom from that. There's freedom. There's freedom and there's life. There's life available. And the reality is, spoiler alert, every one of you are going to die. Welcome to church. And we all want to extend life. We want to beat death. And so we try to live healthy and we take vitamins and we eat kale and we drink water and we put on sunscreen and we wear our seatbelt, but you're going to die. Some of us full of kale and covered in sunscreen, but we're going to die. <laughs> it's because you can't beat death. You can't. You can't beat death. But you don't have to. Because church, Jesus already did. And the same power that rose Christ from the grave can raise dead things in my life. And I'm not defined by my first failure. I'm not defined by that original sin. But here, check this, that freedom keeps flowing. So not only am I free from the original sin, I'm free from the shame and guilt of sin that I have committed as a Christian. Like all of the wrath that God had was poured out for, on Jesus, and he's got none left for me. So not only do we have freedom from the original sin, I have freedom from my own sin now. And sometimes, you know, we define ourselves by our failure. Either the failure before we become a Christian or the failure that we have after we become a Christian. And maybe you're thinking, wait, like, you don't, you don't know how big my failure is. Well, then you don't know how gigantic God is. Because you may keep making mistakes, but God keeps making mercy. In Lamentations 3, 22 through 23 says, because of the Lord's faithfulness and his love, we don't perish. His mercies never end, they're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And that isn't just a song that we sing, great is thy faithfulness. It's a life we get to live. And so you keep hoping that and realize, man, the sin you can't forget, God doesn't remember. And God loves you as you are, not as you ought to be. And God can redeem the unredeemable. That God's power can raise dead things to life. And you can't do enough to earn God's love. You need Jesus. You do. And so often, you know, we act like we don't need help because we've got it all put together. I'll, I'll give you an example. I'm married, three kids, we drive a minivan, don't judge me, but I do the grocery shopping. 
And I have the gift as a dad who's busy all the time. I can turn a 20-minute grocery run into a two-and-a-half-hour trip away for a little bit. You know what I mean? And for a while, when I would get home with the groceries, I would pop the back of that minivan, and I was determined to be a one-trip man. You know what I'm talking about? I would line, yes, thank you. I would line up all of the grocery bags in a row, and I would snake my arm through them, and I'm like, one trip! And I would walk to the house imagining in my mind that the neighbors were like glorying in my accomplishment. Way to go, Wade! Until a can of cream of mushroom soup drops and hits my toe, and I drop everything. I don't do that now. Now when I get home from the grocery store, I go inside, I'm like, everybody outside! You're helping, Dad, we're doing school, we're studying for college, it's the SAT, I don't care, get out and help. I ain't doing it by myself. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. And a sign of maturity is you realize you need Jesus. It is not a sign of weakness. There is divine strength available for our human weakness. And sometimes we just don't realize our condition. I've got an example here. I've got, I got two sets of flowers here. Ooh, this one's in bad shape. So I'm going to ask y'all to help me out here. I'm going to name both sets of these flowers here for you. I'm going to call this one Jack. What's his name? Okay, what's his name? What's his name? And this one's Jake. What's his name? Jake has seen better days. These are not the flowers I would want to give to my wife. You know what I mean? Hey, baby, here you go. I was thinking of you. So I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to just shout out the name. Who's this? Who's this? Who's more alive? Wrong. They're both dead. But Jack just doesn't know it yet. Because they've both been cut off from their source of life. And so Jack is going to look exactly like Jake in about a week. And it really doesn't matter what I try to do to Jack. I can get Miracle Bro and dump it all over it. It's not going to help him. I can hang it upside down like some of the ladies do with their wedding bouquet, you know, put it in a closet, and then you go in there, you know, 10 years later, and it freaks you out, you know. <laughs> and it would preserve it, but it's still dead. Or I could, you know, put it between some pages and press it down really tight, and it would preserve it. I could hand it to my grandkids, but I'm still passing on death. I can't replant it. Is still going to die. The only hope for Jack is to be made new. And the resurrection isn't a cure. The resurrection is the answer. And if God raised Jesus from the dead 2,000 years ago, he can still raise dead things in your life today. I remember... Gosh, this was about 12 years ago. We were in uh, Houston. I got a big family, cousins, 
uncles, everybody everywhere. We're having a birthday party for one of my nieces and nephews. And we were all gathered around the family pool. And we were singing happy birthday. I don't remember which one it was. And we were singing happy birthday. We turned our backs to the pool, all 30 of us singing around, saying happy birthday. And in that moment, I, I had no idea. But my oldest son, Caleb, was only three at that time. And he started headed to the pool. I had no idea. I, th I think about it now, and it, I, can, I could cry just like that. So my parents had a beach entry, you know what I'm talking about? And it starts at like an inch deep and it goes all the way to the deep end. And he just started walking out in the pool. Our backs were turned. And he's heading out into the pool. And he goes from ankle deep to knee deep to waist deep to, to right here. I'm singing happy birthday with my back to the pool and my son is drowning. And like something in that moment, I just said, turn around. And I saw my son and didn't care that I had my phone in my pocket, didn't care what I was wearing, didn't care in that moment. I just jumped in and saved him. And I've thought about that throughout the years. What a picture the heart of God is in that moment. Because I'm a human father and was willing to do anything for my son. How much more is the heavenly father willing to do? I didn't go to the edge of the pool and say, what are you doing? Hey, scissor kick back to the edge if you want some help, you know? <laughs> kick, 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 bounce. I didn't know. I jumped in, laid it all on the line, and grabbed my son. I don't know what dead things you're scared to give to Jesus today, but God's not sitting on the edge of the pool asking for you to reach to him. Like he's already in waiting. And you, you can't replant your life. You can't sprinkle anything on your life. You need Jesus and the hope that he brings to the power of the resurrection. So here's, here's what I want you to do. Grab your phone, get it back out, look at the picture that you took. Take it back out, take a look. And here's the question you need to answer. Like, what dead thing in your life needs to be resurrected? Like, what is it in your life that you just need to surrender to Jesus? And so, God, in this moment, we just, we just ask, Lord, that you would remind us and that the same power that rose Jesus from the grave is still raising dead things to life today. And so God, would you move through the power of your spirit in our midst? In Jesus' name, amen.